Well, tonight in Joshua, chapter 8, you know, in, in, in chapter 7, we sort of saw it there start with a, but <laughs> the children of Israel committed trespass, and sort of a heavy story there as we looked at uh, the story of Achan and the discipline the Lord brought upon the whole nation because of presumption, they sent in spies, they made a plan, they went up to Ai, they lost the battle, they're all mad at God, and God said, hey, you haven't even bothered getting my plans here, talking to me, whether I'm going to give you a plan. There's a whole another element in play here that, that you're completely unaware of. There's sin in the camp, and then slowly the sin of Achan was revealed. We come to chapter 8, and it says, Now the Lord said, the communication is there. And it, and it sort of gives you the, the idea that the communication was there, but Joshua and the gang didn't have their, their radios tuned to the right channel. God was speaking, I'm grieved. God was speaking, we're not moving forward. God was speaking, we're not, I, I'm not giving you the plan to attack uh, AI because there's some other issues that need to be resolved here. But yet none of that was uh, any of the children of Israel were in tune with, and including Joshua. But there, as we finally get down, and Achan was the guy that was pointed out to have the sin. Remember there in chapter 7, verse 9, And Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession of him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. In verse 20, Achan answered Joshua and said, I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, and this is what I've done. And he confessed his sin. You know, again, this story to me is very similar to the story in in Acts with um, Ananias and Sapphira, where they sinned by saying they gave everything when they held back some. And uh, I wonder in both of these cases if we're not going to see these guys in heaven. Even though... Their sin was heavily judged as sort of an example to us. But yet we see that Achan confessed his sin. The consequence of his sin was the death of him, his entire family, all that he had. It was a heavy, heavy sin. But it says there in, in verse 26 that after this stoning and the burning and all happened, that the Lord turned the fierceness of his anger away and you know, there's a couple things we, we need to remember in our Christian life. And I mean, I'm glad that uh, God didn't continue to kill all, every Ananias and Sapphira. And as we go on in the story, God doesn't kill every Achan. Um, although he sort of lets you know up front, this is my heart on the issue, even though I'm not going to make an example of every single person who sort of falls into the same sin. But nevertheless, that's, that's where I stand. I'm not backing off just because he's not showing us the consequences of a equal punishment every single time. Doesn't mean that's not as hard on this issue every single time. But our, our Christian life is just a matter of, of um, sinning, hearing God rebuke us, confessing that sin. Alexander White said this, No matter what mistakes we may make, the worst mistake of all is not to try again. For the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And here's what we sort of have here after this Achan story. We come to chapter 8. It's, it's a new beginning. And it's like the Lord saying again, Okay, guys, let's get back on track here. There in chapter 8, verse 1, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of the war with you. Rise and go up to AIC. I've given into your hand 
the king of Ai's people, his city, and his land. So here it is. Let's, let's get going. Um, new day. New beginning. Let's put the old things behind. And, and I love that. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. I mean, think of the, what God's communicating here. He's saying that once I've dealt with them, I'm not, I'm not going to keep remembering them and rebringing them back up and, and bring this back as an issue again and again. I, Jeremiah thirty one thirty four, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember, what? No more. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And you know, north and south meet, right? We have a north pole and a south pole. But you know, we don't have an east pole and a west pole. You know, uh, east and west never meet. Um, and that's the, that's the neat thing. As far as the east to the west, I'm putting them at where they never uh, meet again. Now when it talks about remembering them or scattering them as far as the east to the west, it's referring to judgment. That the judgment's ending. But far as God remembering them uh, for us to give an account, there still is that remembrance of them. Not in condemnation, not in judgment. But remember in Hebrews 4.13, and this is where I just want to make this point again. In Hebrews 4.13, For there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So although those issues of sin are not going to be remembered towards us as condemnation, it's not that they're not, we're going to have to revisit them to give an account. We are. In Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh will have the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so there, uh, there are the consequences, and, and I might add a continual consequence in many cases. Uh, and the consequence of here is Achan and his whole family died, and, and the, the reality to his parents and his brothers and sisters and cousins and so forth, uh, to, to say that's it. You know, uh, it's, there's no more consequence of Achan and all his family being dead. No, there's something they're going to continue to remember and grieve probably the rest of their life. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 through 11, Therefore, Paul says, We make it our aim, whether present or absent, referring in our bodies or present with the Lord, we will be well-pleasing to him. Listen to verse 10 here. 2 Corinthians five ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not the great white throne of judgment of condemnation of non-believers, but it's the bema seat of Christ, Rewards or lack of rewards. That each may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Realizing that this is a reality. We are going to set before the Lord, give an account of all things we have said and done. We persuade men. For we are well known to God and also trust we are well known in your conscience. Paul says, I live with that reality, knowing that what I say and what I do, I'm going to one day be face to face, nose to nose with Jesus, and he's going to say, let's talk about 
that sentence. Let's talk about those thoughts. Let's talk about that deed. Let's talk about this issue. And we're going to give an account, and it's going to be either a reward or a lack of reward. Uh, Not to read it now, but in 2 Corinthians, uh, it says that some people's rewards will be completely burned up in the fire. And all that will be left is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Their souls are saved, but yet no rewards uh, at that beam of seed of Christ for eternity. And so, <clears throat> on the one hand, we need to, to let go of all the things that are in the past, realizing there's no condemnation any longer. They're not being remembered against you uh, by God in condemnation. If you've received that forgiveness. But at the same time, you're going to reap what you sow. The consequences of our actions, we can continue to suffer those consequences. I know many people that did drugs for a number of years and they've been Christians now for decades and here they are now uh, reaping in their body with their teeth and their digestive system and so forth, the wear and tear uh, of those years on drugs um, and other types of sin. I, I don't just say that. There's all kinds and we, we know this uh, in the physical realm but also relationally and spiritually and this is why we should say one another, let us not sin, because it's real and it hurts. Um, and then on the other side of it, yes, there's no condemnation, but it doesn't mean that all God, although God doesn't remember it under condemnation towards us, it doesn't mean that we're not one day going to have to give an account of all the words Jesus said uh, in Matthew, even every idle word spoken, uh, we're going to have to give an account. And, uh, and of course, all our things, good and bad, we're going to have to talk to the Lord, and Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing that that's, that's a radical thing to, to say some of the things I'm going to have to talk to the Lord out. Paul says, that's why the way we live, I'm living and been living with that in mind continually, knowing that I, I want there to be a point in time where it's like, okay, there's nothing else to discuss, but good things with you, Paul. Uh, the last, you know, 30 years of your life, just let's talk about all the great things God did, and, and there isn't... Uh, some secret things, negative things that need to be discussed. But I don't want to leave it there again. Uh, as Christians in the New Testament, we don't have to be stoned. We don't have to be beaten. We don't have to be burned. Why? Because Christ was in our place. In 1 John 1, nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in 1 John 2, My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. Through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness we can know is for every human being that's willing to come unto him. He is giving us the power of spirit that we don't sin. But if we do sin, it's not the end of the story. There's a new beginning, right? His mercies are new every morning. Yes, there's a reality. We're going to reap what we've sown. Yes, there's a reality. We're going to have to give an account of what we've done. But there's also a powerful reality of hope that today is a brand new day. Today is the first day of the rest of our life and we can let go of yesterday's baggage and press forward. Today's a, a new beginning. And every Christian, knowing the grace of God, should have that overwhelming sense of, of hope. And, and here, if you would, we're sort of learning 
through Joshua, this mentality, <clears throat> you know, uh, the burning bodies, the heap of stones, the, the heavy day of judgment. And now here we are the next day and the Lord says to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Get all the people together, rise up. You're going to Ai, you're gonna have victory. And in verse two, you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Here's the, here's the difference, verse two. Only this time, its spoil, its cattle, shall, you shall take as booty for yourself, lay an ambush for the city behind it. So, man, Achan, he took the spoil from Jericho. Remember, the first was the Lord's. They weren't to take anything from there. Everybody else evidently didn't. But here's Achan. If he could just have hung on a few days more. <laughs> this time when he saw the chunk of gold and the silver and the garments, he could have taken all that he wanted. Man, it's, it's so important that we live our life according to God's will. And, and when we wait on the Lord, you know, um, I, I see it so often uh, with young people dating and not waiting till marriage before they begin sexual activity. And they just sort of live years, decades with a lack of trust in their marriage because of that infidelity. And, you know, here you've been married 25 years and you look back at that eight months and you're going, eight months is just a drop in the bucket. Why, why, did, I, why did it seem that eight months was a million years at the time? You know, God makes all things beautiful in his time. Finances, the same thing, you know. We look back over our life and we look at the tithe and the offerings. We're not going to look back and regret what we gave. We're only going to regret what we didn't give. In the same way with time and serving. Life just goes by so quick, doesn't it? There's so many of you that that have been teaching Sunday school. I was talking to some brothers just a a couple of weeks ago who literally been teaching Sunday school here for over 20 years. And it's so fun because they're now, in, in many cases, uh, the little guys they were teaching in their first grade class or third grade class, they're now teaching their children. Um, and it, it, there is just an amazing joy. And there's a, you know, the thing they were talking about was just the, the deep connection that here they are in their 40s, 50s, and the deep connection they have with these people that they taught in kindergarten or third grade or sixth grade. There was, you know, there's just a deep love of a person who, who introduced you at a very early age to some of the most precious stories, precious truths of the Bible. And now as they're an adult, they look back going, man, that was a lot of time. That was a lot of energy. That was a lot of patience. You, you didn't have to do that, but yet you did. You poured your life uh, into decade after decade of of believers and and now looking back at it going wow that was that was a sacrifice for my wife my kids my husband whatever of my time and my energy but what a wonderful beautiful sacrifice to God and here if Achan just could have hung on and turned down the immediate gratification of the spoils of Jericho he would have had more than enough spoils of the other countries that were coming including AI uh, all, all things in the Lord's timing. So this time he says, I'm going to give you my plan. You didn't wait for it last time. Presumptuously, you went up with your own plan. But here's my plan. And we're basically going to just read this chapter now. 
So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 men of valor and sent them up uh, away by night. Remember the spies came back and they said, I'll just send 3,000 guys up there. It's only a city of 12,000, no big deal. Now it's 30,000, 10 times that. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and I will come up when they come out against us as the first that we shall flee before you. So I'm sending a group out behind. They're just going to camp out behind it. Then we're all going to come up like we did the first time, like we're attacking it. But uh, they don't know about the ambush behind the city. For they will come out after us till we have drawn from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set up the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I've commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went out to lie in ambush and stay between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders in Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped in the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men, and they set them in ambush before between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north city, north of the city and its rear garden on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city heard and rose early and went up against Israel to battle, he and all his people in an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten from before them, and they fled away uh, of the wilderness. So it looks like just an exact repeat of the time before. So all the people, when they were in, the, were, uh, in Ai, were called together to pursue them. They pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. So this time they're thinking, we're not just going to pursue him. We're going to chase him down and get him. Let's all go after him. So they were really thinking they had no problem conquering Israel again. So they left the city open. Nobody uh, protecting the city. And they all pursued Israel. Then the Lord said, I love that again in verse 18. The Lord's very active here. The Lord's the commander of the armies. Not Joshua. And the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards Ai. It reminds me of that story in Exodus 17 when Moses lifted up his rod. When Joshua was down in the valley fighting. Sort of the rod of, of prayer, if you would, and victory. And, and, and crying out, God's doing it. Sort of like the rod when Moses lifted up and they crossed the Red Sea. Well, Joshua doesn't have a rod, but he has a spear. And he said, point it towards uh, Ai. And I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So here comes all these guys from Ai chasing him. And at a point, God said, stop, Joshua. And he stops. And he said, just turn around and point the spear back at these people chasing you and at the city. And you could see everybody chasing. It's like, why isn't Joshua running? Why is he pointing his spear at us? And then at that point, 
Those in ambush, verse 19, arose quickly out of their place and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, come on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai uh, took alive, brought him to Joshua, and it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them, when all they had fallen by the edge of the sword until... They were consumed that all Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And remember, God had given them 430 years to get out. They were vomited out of, of the promised land and they refused to leave. And God said, if they refuse to leave, you're to kill every single one of them. I don't want you polluted by their gods. I don't want you polluted by their diseases. Uh, everyone is to die. And so it was that all that fell that day, both men, women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. And Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out his spirit until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. So much like Moses holding up the the rod, not until the victory was 100% complete. He just kept holding it up hour after hour. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as the booty for himself, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. The king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. Remember we read earlier in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So it's a a real sign to Israel. This man is a cursed man. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that he should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it in the entrance of the gate of the city, and raised over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Now Joshua, verse 30, built an altar to the Lord, God of Israel, and Mount Ebal. So now we see Joshua back on track in obedience. This is what he actually should have been doing after the battle of Jericho. Remember back in Deuteronomy 27, before they ever got to the promised land, uh, in verses 4 through 8, he told Joshua in Deuteronomy 27, verse 4 through 8, Therefore it shall be... When you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up the stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, and you shall use an iron tool on them, and you shall build with the whole stones the altar of the Lord your God, and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings, and they eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write them very plainly on the stones, all the words of this law. So, God in Deuteronomy had given them a very clear, clear command. And, and so from Ai to get to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim was about a 20, 25 mile, mile track. So this wasn't an easy thing. So they have the battle and immediately, this, the battle's over, they're immediately going to obey the Lord. Immediate obedience. It's the only way. And so this was no small thing. He's building this altar, whitewashing these stones, writing the blessings and the cursings on these stones. 
And uh, notice in verse 31, as Moses is serving the Lord, he commanded the children of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, uh, an altar of the whole stones over which no man has willed in an iron tool. And they offered it on a burnt offering to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Again, just as God had commanded in Deuteronomy 27. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders, their officers, their judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gresham, the other half of them in the Mount Ebal. As Moses had the servant of the Lord had commanded before them, they should bless the people of Israel. Remember, we went over this in Deuteronomy and went in great detail. And after that, verse 34, and afterwards he read all the words of the law. We would estimate uh, Genesis all the way to the present. Um, so all the way, at least to Deuteronomy. Uh, all that Moses had given them, he read it all. And the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly with the women the little ones, the strangers who are living amongst them. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul tells young Timothy to make sure, till I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. But one of the, the elements of, of the word of God is just to read portions of it. And, and I love this here. On Sunday nights, we're sort of trying to do that, trying to just read a large passage without preaching all of it, just giving it a sense. In Nehemiah, we see them, they read all of the law, and everybody stood. Men, women, children, little babies, everybody was there. And, of course, the people coming back from Babylon didn't know Hebrew and didn't understand a lot of the cultural aspects of what had been their culture for 70 years. And it says each passage that they gave it a sense, and they read it all. And it was beautiful what had happened, just the reading Public reading of the scripture. Um, they, they began to weep and they, they, they said, hey, this is the time we're to build tabernacles. Uh, they had not built tabernacles with joy and celebration since the time of Joshua. And there they did that. And then after that, they began to repent. And the longest prayer in the Bible comes from just a time of reading through the scriptures. And it's important that you give time to the public reading uh, of the scriptures. Uh, as we're doing here tonight, such an important aspect. And I think so many churches, um, by not teaching the whole counsel of God, um, are beyond being negligent. They are doing great, great, great damage. As we see today in the statistics, after statistics, where Christians who go to church every Sunday most of them have never read the whole Bible ever in their lifetime. Most of them cannot tell you the books of the Bible. Most Christians, if you mention a book of the Bible, might even doubt whether that is a book of the Bible. <laughs> well, if you read Obadiah, that's not a book of the Bible. You're joking with me, you know. No, it's a book. You know what Obadiah is about? No, I, have not, I, I, don't, believe it. I don't even believe it's a book of the Bible. I mean, that's how ignorant Christendom for the majority is. And it's so important, if you would, that you give yourself to the meditating of God's word every day, but also to, to read it uh, to a speed 
that you're getting constantly the whole counsel of God. George Mueller believed that every Christian, every season, four times a year, should have studied through the scriptures. Um, and each season, God would give it. And, and so, you know, I know I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I read this devotional today and this verse, or I read that devotional. Uh, I knew one guy, he's a neat guy on fire, but I mean, for literally 10 years, he goes, I gotta share this verse that God shared with me this morning. And every time it was the same verse, you know. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The thoughts are good, not evil, to give you hope and a future. And every time I met him, uh, he would say, hey, I read this verse this morning. I gotta tell you again. And it's like, dude, you know. I mean, I don't think he realized he, he sort of was reading the only same one verse every day. But he was a real positive business selling type of guy. But uh, I, I think we can sort of, to some degree, sort of get there too. Where there's a parts of the Bible that aren't as easy to study, but at least having read through it and giving God the opportunity to put those facts and data into our head that God's Spirit could use that as we meditate on the Lord to, to speak it into our lives. And so they have this heavy day of walking in a, in a parade going through until Aiken's pointed out. They, they stone him and his family to death. They burn him to death. They pile him up. Immediately go into a battle, 12,000 people again killed, buried them all up with stones, March 20, 25 miles to Mount Ebal and Gerizim. They're there while Joshua's writing out all of Genesis to Deuteronomy and they're proclaiming the blessings and the curses back and forth. I mean, this, this was no small thing. It, w- it would have taken an incredible amount of focus and organization and and commitment to say, hey, we're going to hear and be reminded of all that the Lord has said. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And, and we are reminded right now, Lord, that it's no small thing for us being here tonight. <laughs> that your eyes are going to and fro throughout the world right now. And we trust right now, Lord, that your eyes are falling upon us. Those whose heart are loyal to you. You said that You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that's us tonight, Lord. We're coming to seek you with all our heart. Lord, we want to hear, like here it says in chapter 8, they got a new direction. They had a heart of new obedience. They had a heart of new humility. Lord, we come tonight with a new humility. We come tonight, Lord, to hear a new direction. Because we're humbled in a deeper obedience. Whatever we are willing to sacrifice, whatever we are willing to give, to the degree we were willing to walk the walk, Lord, we want it deeper tonight. Think of that saying that there's, the world is still not seen. What God can do, do through a person who is wholly dedicated himself to the Lord. We We have that sense with Joshua, just so wanted to dedicate himself to you. And tonight, that's us, Lord. We just so want to surrender ourselves. No more presumption. You're speaking, Lord. We want to tune in. We want to hear it all. Reading it, meditating on it, feeding on it, being strengthened in it. Lord, as we've given ourselves to the public reading of Scripture here tonight, Joshua 8, we ask that you would glorify yourself in this and the exhortation, and the doctrine. We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful time with you. We're going to take just a couple more minutes here tonight, and a couple of songs, and 
as we're led in worship, just let the Lord just speak it to you now. Just say, Lord, your servant hears. What, Lord? Yes, Lord. Your servant hears.